This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Day, Program Director at UT Houston. Dr. Day, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. So I want to start by you know asking you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the program at UT Houston since you assumed the role of program director about 10 years ago. All right. Well, I uh, have been a program director for uh, 25 years or more. Uh, I came here to the University of Houston in 2010 at a time when we had, uh, uh, I think, three residents in the program and were approved for one uh, resident of the year. Now, our program is three residents a year uh, uh, for a total of 21 residents. We have filled in from the bottom up. In other words, we didn't invite a lot of people to fill in our higher level residents, but we, all, we started everyone at the PGY1 level and moved them through the system. And uh, we are now in the final year of that transition. So this year we have 20 residents uh, with only two chief, two PGY7s, but next year we will have three residents at every level throughout our, our program. We also have several fellows here at the program doing subspecialty work in endovascular uh, particularly. And uh, I think we have one uh, 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 functional and stereotactic uh, fellow uh, here this year. So uh, it's a very uh, collegial group of people. We have a single institution uh, in which your training is done uh, with one exception of a four-month cycle during PGY4 where you, you go to one of our satellite hospitals for a, a, a unique experience there. But otherwise, you are here in a single hospital as a resident for, uh, for all uh, 84 months minus four so you will see all of your residents every day for the entire seven years of your training, except for a short period uh, that I mentioned. So it's a very collegial group, a very close-knit group, uh, and a group that will grow to be your, your best friends and your colleagues for years to come. Uh, one of the things that really makes the program unique. That's great. And interesting, uh, when I interviewed there a couple of years ago, I remember you were telling me that initially when the program started, you guys were approved for one a year, but you were so confident in how busy the program at UT Houston was that you guys started with two per year. And then once you got the complement approved, uh, by that time, you already had a full complement of residents. So, you know, given how busy the program at UT Houston is, can you tell me a little, little bit about the operative experience you guys have and the clinical volume uh, that both the junior and the senior residents have? We, uh, had the benefit of being a, a place where the primary referrals for uh, trauma have come for many, many years for the city of Houston. Houston is the third or fourth largest city in the country, depending on how you measure. Uh, uh, and it uh, many, many years ago had the benefit of establishing the, the second uh, uh, helicopter transfer program for for purposes of the distances involved in Texas and because of the interest of one of our uh, early uh, uh, faculty members in, in general surgery. So our hospital, uh, which uh, is called Herman Hospital, which is located right in the edge of the Texas Medical Center, was founded by uh, this Mr. Herman, who really provided all the land for the subsequent growth of the Texas Medical Center, which is 
the largest medical center in the world. So after this hospital was built, then the hospitals at Baylor and Methodist got built down the street. And, and uh, so this was the first hospital in that system. As a result of that uh, timely position uh, at, at the point of establishment, then all the uh, trauma uh, and acute care uh, was d directed here for the most part for many, many years. So we have uh, now the largest uh, trauma program in the country. Uh, and uh, with that comes a huge number of patients uh, that with, with acute neurologic deterioration, which includes stroke, sub subarachnoid hemorrhage, tumor declines uh, with, with uh, seizures or things of that nature, which provides a huge patient population for us to, uh, to manage. Uh, it sat here uh, without a residency program for many years, uh, but when Dr. Kim uh, came here, that was one of the uh, bases for which he came, it was clear that this place, with its affiliation with the University of Texas as its primary hospital, was ideal for a very high volume neurosurgical practice. So uh, when I came here, uh, we were uh, doing uh, as many as 300 uh, subarachnoid hemorrhages a year, uh, a huge number of tumors, many more tumors, primary tumors than MD Anderson. Uh, we had a huge traumatic spine and head injury practice. And then it came down to the development of just getting more uh, faculty members to develop the, um, the elective practice. So when our residents came in, there was immediately a, a huge amount of case material coming in just through the emergency room or through the acute care service. And now as the program has matured, we have a very large elective practice that, 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 that parallels that. We, do, uh, uh, we are the central hospital for a large hospital chain called Memorial Hermann Hospital Systems. And we are the tertiary care referral center. So all the complex cases from a large system that incorporates the whole greater Houston area come here uh, at the request of their, their, their neurosurgeons out in the periphery when they get too complicated or they need our assistance. So we have somewhere around 5,000 uh, operative cases here that go through the doors here. Um, and that does not include uh, uh, a large number of things like uh, radio surgery or things of that nature, which we also have a huge practice for. So the number of cases here is well suited for resident interactions uh, starting right away because of the trauma load. And then the more sophisticated practice as you get further along in your, in your residency uh, training. Our residents can go to the operating room right away from PGY-1 uh, with an acute care uh, operative rotation of uh, four months of their PGY-1. And they also uh, have uh, an acute care service as a, one of their chief residency rotations to allow them to run uh, as, a, as the director uh, with a faculty oversight for everything that comes in the door during PGY-6. So it's very geared to resident activity and resident leadership and, and uh, direction uh, throughout their, your training. Now, I know both you and Dr. Kim are uh, vascular trained neurosurgeons. So just 
you know, going off of that, is there, do you feel like that there's any sort of predilection or bias in terms of residency training to, you know, either vascular or cranial neurosurgery? Or do you feel like your residents come out pretty well trained and, you know, pretty well rounded in terms of all surgical subspecialties? Well, I, uh, you know, am old enough to have been trained in uh, a general neurosurgery, so I still do a large number of spine operations uh, and, uh, and, and tumor and skull-based tumors. So there is no, uh, I am the, the director of the structure of the residency, but in no means uh, shifting it to, to, towards my, uh, my uh, particular subspecialty. I'm interested in training the guys to be a good general neurosurgeon first so that they can they can learn how to take care of any neurosurgical emergency and save a life. So they'll learn how to take an epidural hematoma out, a shunt malfunction, a simple a brain tumor, a simple spine case, uh, all the things that a neurosurgeon needs to know during their uh, when they take call for their group practice that, that they will be in when they finish. Our program is uniquely set up that, that the first four years of everyone's training is identical uh, with, with multiple rotations aimed at getting that specific skill set, a core of the first four years uh, to make you a good general neurosurgeon heavily weighted on spine and on simple uh, uh, cranial, uh, including uh, tumor and uh, uh, trauma. Uh, and uh, at the end of those four years, virtually all or all of our residents make very, very high scores on their board scores. And we have a 90-something percent pass rate in our residency by the end of PGY-1. So by the end of your first year, you will have no enough of general neurosurgery to pass the boards. So at the end of four years, you will know how to manage every neurosurgical emergency and have the experience to do so. The next three years then will be under your own direction as long as that's, uh, you fulfill that goal to uh, pursue your research and your independent uh, um, subspecialty practice. Uh, of those three years and the, the last three, they will, there will be a year of research chosen by you to uh, to pursue your interest. There will be a chief residency during which you refine your operative and judgment skills. And many of our residents do an enfolded, cast-accredited uh, uh, program uh, fellowship at PGY-7. So by no means am I steering people or, or waiting for, or, or for vascular. Most of our residents will end up doing either endovascular or spine-related and some oncology rather than vascular, uh, open vascular. Of course, of course. And, you know, I think uh, what you mentioned in terms of being able to treat the general neurosurgical patient, especially four years into your residency training, is incredibly important and a great achievement. Um, so out of respect for your time, Dr. Day, uh, you know, we want to wrap this up. Thank you again for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing more about your program with uh, all of our listeners. So appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having us. Welcome back to the Nursery Podcast. As we continue our mini-series on the U.S. and Canadian programs, I am especially delighted today to be joined by the program director at Albany Med. Uh, his name is Dr. Matthew Adamo, and we owe a great debt of gratitude to Julie Plitzis and Matthew at Albany because they brought forth uh, Vignesh Kumar, who is absolutely one of my favorite residents, 
and uh, is, of course, in charge of many elements of this podcast, including helping to make possible all these recordings. So, Matthew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, Dr. Adamo, uh, as stated, we're just delighted to have you on today. And like we were talking about before we started recording, the most important thing for us in this series is to help the medical students in the field today get a sense for the flavor and the feel of what your program has to offer. So maybe just by way of introduction, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what neurosurgery is like at Albany from the inside. Yes, yeah, so I actually, I became the uh, program director uh, last year, so I'm still relatively new in the position. Um, but we, we've had a, a very strong kind of clinical training type program for, for many years. And we've had residents go into you know, both fellowships and academic tracks, as well as pursue prior practice uh, neurosurgery careers, uh, both with equal success. Uh, we're a two resident per year program and a one hospital program. So everything is in one place. And we have pretty much a combined adult and pediatric service um, for the entire time during the training. So, uh, Dr. Adamo, as uh, you know, as Dr. Wang very kindly mentioned, uh, I'm, you know, of course from Albany. Uh, I've been out of Albany for the last three years, but I know that in the last three years, you guys have made the program a lot more diverse. Specifically, a lot more of the residents and attendings are actually women, uh, and I, I'm not sure what the ratio is right now, but I think it's approaching close to a third of the uh, faculty and residents are women. Am I right? So, if could you yeah. explain a little bit about what that sort of means for? you know, how they feel about the training and the environment at, uh, at Albany. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that they're, they're feeling very good about how things have been going. Uh, and as are we, we have a very broad, you know, uh, you know, group of people applying to our program, uh, male, female. Um, so we've had very good success interviewing very, uh, competent candidates and outstanding candidates every year. And uh, we've been very lucky to have uh, good success with everyone who's come into our program. And I think there's a great camaraderie amongst the residents, um, male, female. There's really no issue between them or any difference in how they you know, perceive their training or you know, the, the attention they get from the faculty. For sure. And so, you know, as Dr. Wang mentioned, Dr. Politsis uh, is uh, at Albany right now. She's the chair of the Department of Neuroscience, uh, which is you know, the basic science side uh, of the uh, you know, Department of Neurosurgery. And she's a, you know, a big name in functional neurosurgery. Can you right. talk a little bit about, uh, you know, in terms of the specialties that are represented and the ultimate specialties that the residents go into, is it pretty balanced or, you know, do you find that residents favor one more than the other? I'll say we, we've had a, maybe a relatively heavy resident uh, kind of interest in endovascular. Uh, we do have four endovascular attendings, um, and you know we have a cast fellowship. So in the fourth year, you can do the first year, seventh year, the second year. So that's very appealing to get both years during the residency. Um, but we, we have also cast fellowships in functional and spine. The spine one is new as of last year. We, we've had... Um, you know, attending level fellows for our functional fellowship for the last few years. Um, and as far as our resident graduates, we've had a, a pretty good mix of different fellowships they've pursued. We've had a couple guys go into pediatric, a uh, couple do tumor or skull-based fellowships, that kind of thing. Um, some have done spine fellowships, and then a good number have just gone into prior practice. 
Well, Dr. Adamo, you know, as we talked about at the opening, we know what Albany Medical School can produce working with Vignesh for the past couple of years, but maybe we could talk a bit about the residents in the neurosurgery department. Let us know what are they like as people? What are the personalities? What's the dynamic of the group? And in that light, what kind of people are you looking for in the field this year? I mean, overall, you know, if you look at the entire applicant list, there are so many highly qualified candidates on paper with, you know, great board scores, great letters. Obviously, during the interview, you get to know the person as much as you can virtually. Um, but we're, we're always looking for people who are o- open to learning, um, open to be, you know, in a cooperative environment where you know, they, they see their role as, you know, helping the patient and learning at the same time and learning from us. And also we like to learn from them. So we want them to bring something to the program um, t- to keep us engaged as well. Um, and we have a, an overall pretty nice culture of uh, good relationship between the attendings and the residents. And I would say that overall compared to other you know, things I've heard and other things I've, I've experienced during my training, we have a very like, non-malignant environment and I think a very, a very good environment for learning for the residents. So the other thing about Albany is, you know, it's of course in upstate New York. There are a couple other programs in that area, right? Syracuse, right. Buffalo, Rochester, yeah. uh, New ha- uh, Dartmouth and Vermont up to the right. east. Uh, but, you know, despite all that, the overall land area is still pretty big. So, you know, it leads to a pretty big catchment area for Albany. So can you talk a little right. uh, about so what type of things you guys see, you know, coming yeah, through the we, ED? And- yep, yeah, yeah. we have about a million patient population catchment area. Uh, over a, a good chunk of New York and some into like Vermont and Massachusetts. Um, and we really see everything. We're the only level one trauma center, only stroke center, only level four NICU epilepsy center. So we get all adult and pediatric pathology. Um, and, you know, we, we have some things that make our, our uh, place unique. Like we do a, a lot of brachial plexus, like pediatric birth injuries. We do a lot of adult plexus trauma. Um, and we have pretty much everything represented in the program, um, so, you know, skull base, vascular, endovascular, tumor, pediatric, functional, and all of the faculty, you know, do pretty much all of the cases in that field. So we, we don't send any cases out to other institutions. Um, we really try to keep everything local. And I think the residents get a very broad training in all adults and all pediatric problems from, you know, from day one through their sixth year, the seventh year. Uh, currently ends up being either one of the CAST fellowships or a year where the resident can kind of focus on areas of interest. Like, for example, a previous resident did kind of three-month rotations. Like, they did three months of pediatrics, three months of tumor, three months of skull base, and then three months of, like, ENT with skull base. So the seventh year is nice because it, it can be the fellowship year or a year more tailored to interests, which then may translate to a fellowship after residency or going into practice with a with a more broad experience part of finishing the program. For sure. And I think, you know, all of us here on the podcast right now have been up to the upstate New York area probably at least once now. I mean, it's a great area, right? The Appalachians are right there, the Finger Lakes, there's a lot of skiing, there's a lot of hiking. Can you talk about what the residents in the program do outside the hospital and, you know, what they do during their free time? Yeah. A lot of our residents, they, they enjoy the outdoors. So we have a lot of really nice areas for hiking, you know, for, for, uh, not super big mountains, but like mountain climbing. There's a lot of winter sports, a lot of kind of year-round sports. 
we're also very close to you know New York City, Boston. So for weekend trips, that kind of thing, it's very easy to get to those places. The city of Albany is you know it's a moderate sized city. It's very easy to get around, so it's convenient. Meaning that you don't have to live right next to the hospital. You can have actually a nice house with some space, and then get to the hospital very quickly. You know, either you know for the work day or when you're on call. So I think it's it's got a nice mix of most of the things that you're going to expect is to have in a in a city without all of the kind of congestion and difficult traffic and that kind of thing. And then the fact that it's a one hospital program is very convenient. You know, a resident on call is in one building. You know, we have you know adult and a pediatric ER and adult pediatric portions of the hospital, but they're never running across to a different hospital or driving across town to another building. So I think that that's certainly a strength and a, a convenience within the program. For sure. And just as we wrap up, you know, I know most program directors will never say that a program has any weaknesses, but do you think that there are any parts of Albany that I think are going to be up and coming and improving over the next couple of years and any areas that you guys are focusing on and really strengthening? Yeah, we're, we're always trying to, you know, to, to kind of capture more and more cases. So like, for example, from the pediatric standpoint, I'm, I'm working very hard to get us more pediatric epilepsy, the craniotomies. We have a very robust adult program and we do a lot of pediatric cases, but I kind of want to keep getting more and more of those cases. And we got Rosa uh, last year, so we're doing a lot of SEEG, which certainly opens up the pediatric population quite a bit for monitoring and for, for doing those epilepsy cases. Um, we have a, a new skull-based surgeon, so he's he's gathering a lot more kind of complicated skull-based cases. And we have these kind of multidisciplinary clinics like spasticity clinic, we have a craniofacial clinic. So different ways to kind of bring in other groups to, to get us more and more cases and to give a, a more comprehensive education for the residents. So those things, we're, we're, we're constantly building on those things. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Dalma, thank you for coming on and representing Albany on the podcast. We appreciate you sharing your insights about this program. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome back to our podcast. Today, we have a special guest because JP and I have favorite programs. We have our biases. And one of our favorite programs out there is University of Maryland. We have a lot of friends there. And today, we're joined by the program director, Charlie Sanser. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Now, Charlie, I've heard so many great things about Maryland. I want to say it's it's really underrated because everybody that talks about it says wonderful things. Tell us a little bit about the flavor of what you're building there at the University of Maryland. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, at the University of Maryland, I, I feel that uh, we have a, a really strong track record for training very solid, well-rounded neurosurgeons. And uh, as the time passes... Uh, we're producing more and more uh, uh, graduates who pursue academic neurosurgery. And uh, I, I think w one of the, the biggest things that we're known for is the fact that we have a large trauma center. But um, in reality, uh, trauma consists of only 10 to 20 percent of all of the cases that we do. And, and the nice part about Maryland is that we do super uber complex cases that are rare rare pathologies, but at the same time, we do plenty of bread, bread and butter uh, neurosurgery cases. And we have a nice complement uh, between uh, faculty who are heavy duty R01 funded researchers and also faculty that are heavy duty, you know, clinically focused entities. So bottom line, it's, I, I think we have a very well-rounded place. 
You know, I'll take a brief moment to give a shout out to one of our friends, Ken Crandall, one of your junior faculty who uh, was, along with me, a graduate of the University of Miami Medical School, did residency there, then was a fellow with Dr. Wang in Miami. And the fact that he returned to you as a faculty speaks to your point, A, of excellent training as we saw him working in Miami, but B, the fact that more of your graduates are moving towards academic positions. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, for the uninitiated, Shock Trauma, the trauma hospital there at the University of Maryland, is one of the largest and most prestigious in the world, I would say, and actually was the physical model uh, for Ryder Trauma Center that was built at Jackson Memorial at the University of Miami. So it's a, a storied institution in both neurosurgical trauma, but also general trauma surgery. But as you were saying, with, with the increasing academic bent of your graduates, Maybe what's in the air, what's going on and what's changing in the culture of your residency that you think is pushing more and more of your graduating neurosurgeons in that direction? That's a good question. You know, I, I really think that one of the things that we pride ourselves on is the fact that we really care about teaching our residents. And uh, when residents come into a case, uh, they pretty much get very, very solid uh, a very solid educational experience. And they see quickly that academics, there's a big joy in, in training and seeing what your graduates can accomplish. Uh, and I think a lot of our graduates are driven into academics because of the enjoyment they derive from seeing what the teaching experience is like. But th that's one side. But the other side is that we have really uh, well-established uh, researchers. You know, we have people like Mark Samard, uh, who's an MD, PhD, uh, who has four R01 uh, grants. Um, he discovered the sulfonyl urea receptor of the central nervous system, which has big implications for uh, uh, apoptosis and inflammation of the central nervous system and plays a role in stroke and spinal cord injury and brain trauma. Um, we also have people like Graham Woodworth, uh, who's the current chair, uh, who took over from Dr. Eisenberg about one and a half to two years ago. Uh, Dr. Woodworth has a very uh, well-established uh, lab looking at blood-brain barrier disruption using the focus ultrasound and studying brain tumors and the response to chemotherapy and, and changes in imaging with disruption of the blood-brain barrier to get better tumor resections. Um, you know, we have people like Alex Sandowski, another fa faculty member who uh, is working on uh, getting NIH funding uh, to examine biomarkers in epilepsy. Um, the bottom line is, is there are lots of opportunities for residents to engage themselves in, uh, in uh, basic science research as well as, as, as uh, clinical research and the joys of, of teaching. So I, I think it's it's a positive environment. Um, we as faculty get along very well with each other. We treat our residents like colleagues uh, and, and we really treat our residents like junior faculty. Um, and I think that they see this type of atmosphere and they wanna be part of it. Yeah, you know, I wanna take that a little further. Just in the past week, I've run into two people. One was a fellow applicant for spine and one was a residency applicant. And both of them had wonderful things to say about your institution. They were not University of Maryland graduates. And they both said the same kind of thing, which was that there's something about the culture there that has a very soft sort of um, 
fatherly like teaching style which you know i personally <laughs> i'm not a i'm not a proponent of necessarily but <laughs> apparently the young people really migrate to that and, and and something that you're doing there can you can you encapsulate that for us a little bit further or give us some clarity as to what's actually happening in, in baltimore yeah um i i think you know similar to to what i was saying earlier uh when when we have uh, let's say uh, a difficult situation that requires a lot of thinking, um, you know, we put our heads together and manage the problem, you know, uh, without getting flustered. Um, and when you know things happen in the operating room and things don't go perfectly. In, you know, we realize and accept that that's part of uh, reality, and that's not the time uh, to really uh, start throwing instruments and yelling at everybody. That's the time where you got to focus and get the patient uh, the treatment that that he or she needs. You know, one of my biggest mentors, uh, Dr. Laws, uh, you know, was always cool under fire. You know, uh, I remember situations where uh, getting into the carotid during a pituitary, for instance, you know, very calm, you know, you would never know it even happened. Um, so uh, we, we, uh, we, we deal with very high stress cases, but we, we try to, to do it in a graceful way uh, without imposing the stress on the trainees. Right. You know, uh, I recall a few years back during my interview when I got to meet the at the time, the, the residency cohort and the attendings that, you know, we, we went out for a wonderful steak dinner on the river. I really got to see the town. And a, again, for for the listeners, University of Maryland, you're, you're not actually situated at the college campus. So sorry, Terps fans. My brother-in-law pitched for the Terps. And Dr. Wang and I both wear a lot of Under Armour, but you're actually uh, you're, you're actually in the city proper within Baltimore. So maybe for those who haven't had a chance to visit Baltimore before and who won't get a chance, at least for the first round of interviews this year, maybe speak a bit about what life is like in the city of Baltimore, what kind of things the residents do in their free time. Yeah, absolutely. Baltimore is actually a very underrated city to live in. Um, it's I might be biased because I'm born and raised in, in Baltimore, um, but uh, the bottom line is uh, th there's uh, a lot of activities on the water. Uh, you know, we we uh, we enjoy the Inner Harbor. Uh, we enjoy the proximity of Baltimore to Annapolis. We actually live in Annapolis and, and have a house right on the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, uh, there's uh, a beautiful place called Harbor East, uh, which is a very cosmopolitan and very, very up and coming, uh, beautiful section of, of downtown, um, you know, where very high quality restaurants are located. Um, there's, a, there's a very historic feel to certain parts of Baltimore, including Fells Point, uh, where you see old cobblestone streets uh, and, uh, you know, amazing hotels, uh, and again, amazing restaurants and bars. Um, it's, it's, it's turned into a, a special, uh, little haven, uh, in the middle of what used to be considered to be a dangerous city. 
Um, so and Charlie, as we as we wrap it up, I just wanted to make good use of the time. We we love the city. Tell us a little bit about how the residency is laid out. How many people would take a year? How many years it is? Any time off for research or or yes. internal? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a seven year program. It's and it's two residents per year. Uh, what we're what we've implemented uh, is a transition uh, to make the seventh year. Uh, more of an elective slash research year, um, and uh, you know there 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 are a total of, of two years of 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 elective slash research, uh, but uh, but we've we that originally was mostly focused in the PGY five year, but now that that is moved to the PGY seven year with the intent of having the opportunity to complete a CAST in interventional radiology or a CAST uh, spine fellowship during that seventh year. Um, but what we've also implemented is this concept called the apex year, um, because that's the last year and that's, you know, the apex. Uh, and that's the apex uh, stands for academic path towards excellence. You know, because of our track record for creating uh, uh, 75% of our graduates going into academics within the last uh, 10 years. Um, you know, we feel that we have this path uh, towards academic, towards towards excellence in academics. And with each uh, PGY-7 is going to be required to have some kind of academic product, you know, whether it includes uh, spending time uh, in a leadership course, uh, or uh, getting an advanced degree such as a master's, um, you know, we will support the PGY-7 resident in those endeavors. You know, we have some examples where our, our residents uh, currently a PGY-3, uh, he's going to plan on, on getting his PhD um, during the course of his residency and is going to use that last year uh, towards his thesis for the PhD. Um, but at the same time, we have other residents who are planning on doing an integrated ortho neuro spine um, fellowship, uh, as well as uh, just uh, inter interventional uh, endovascular stuff. Well, that's wonderful, Charlie. Uh, what a great program you have. Thanks for coming on our podcast. We wish you best of luck in the match. And, um, you know, it just sounds like a wonderful place to train. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity and wish you guys the best of luck. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.